Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divining wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both by both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to in one spirit to the father so then you who are no longer strangers and aliens but you all fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone to whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Judy, for, uh, for reading that out for us. I hope you're enjoying um, going through um, Ephesians, everybody. What a rich, what a rich book it is, isn't it? It's, it's kind of, some people I think have described it as kind of the, the culmination of Paul's theology for us and um it's so rich every every word every sentence is laced with um with richness for us to enjoy to to chew upon um just to sort of set the scene last week dan was preaching on the first the first part of chapter two and, and i suppose there's a sense in which that that was kind of vertically oriented how we relate to god or how god relates to us um, we, we saw the Gentiles past state, our past state, that we were dead in sins. We were following the world. We were following the devil's ways. We were disobedient. We were deserving of wrath. But, but because of his love, his mercy, he made us alive. We are saved by grace. We are now seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. It is through grace, not by works. There is no boasting. The only boast we have is in Christ our Lord. Uh, and we were, uh, and God created for us in advance good works to do. And that's something I've been trying to pray through this week that I would, uh, and that we would walk in those things that He has already prepared in advance for us to do in order to display, to display His goodness. And this week, the second part of the chapter, I suppose if, if the first part is vertically oriented, then this week it's a little bit more horizontally oriented. How we, as Christ's family, now relate to each other. 
So Dan, um, last week pre- preached, um, or we, we saw him preaching this beautiful message of grace being preached to us, the power of God raising us from being dead in our trespasses to being made alive in God. And this is what the Lord is always doing. He's always transferring us from one thing to something else. And the thing that he's taken us from is always lesser. And the thing that he's taken us to is always better and greater. And I suppose my prayer is that we would grasp some of that and to know it and to enjoy it. Dan showed us that uh, a bit of our past state, the desperation of being without God due to our own sin and the ways of the world and that devastating indictment of being called children of wrath. But in our present, we, we live in resurrection life, the power of resurrection life, those beautiful words, but God, it doesn't end there. Dan called them the most hopeful of words, but God being rich in mercy and because of his great love, he saved you by grace. And he saved us to a purpose to walk, not in the ways of the world in our old sinful ways, but to walk in the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. Not in order to receive salvation, but because you have already received it, the evidencing of your faith. So this week we see in verses 11 to 22, um, one main theme, and that is that we are becoming, we are made part of the one family of God. We are being made into a new humanity. Just move that slide on one. Thank you, Ben. Paul again reiterates what kind of state we're in. So he kind of repeats a little bit um, like he was doing at the start of the chapter. He reiterates what kind of state we're in before God in his mercy and because of his great love saved us and what a state it was just to, to sort of drive the point home. We're told that we were, and you can see on the slide there, we were, and, and this is awful. This is awful, isn't it? This position The estate of us before he comes to save us is awful. We're separate from Christ and his chosen people. We're excluded from citizenship. We we were foreigners and aliens. We're strangers to the covenant of the promise. We were without hope and without God, and we were far away. Of course, Jesus coming changes all of that for us. We, we can be in no doubt that Paul would want the churches that, that uh, the letter was sort of circulated amongst to remember this. He says, doesn't he, that he wants us to remember, therefore remember. And no doubt the Lord would want us to remember that prior to being brought near, we had absolutely no claim on being able to be near God, near his people, part of anything but despair and despondency. After all, if if you are without hope, the natural path is towards decline and darkness and gloom. But see in verse 13, it lifts us to where we are now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this verse reminds us of our new, our present state. The only thing that has enabled nearness to God is the blood of Christ. Only him putting himself in your place, taking the punishment for your sins, 
that you deserve. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is what he has done for each and every individual who places their trust in Jesus. But the emphasis of this passage is what he has done for us collectively in achieving, in achieving this. Paul directly um, addresses what, what the Lord is doing in saving people. It continues the theme that we're hearing about of, gone, of God's grand plan of bringing all things into unity under Christ. He's making a new humanity. Note that in, in Paul's day, for the most part, the community of God was Jewish. That was going to change in some ways, wasn't it? But that that access to God was now possible for anyone who believed. Today, we might have a harder time imagining this as we probably see the wider community of God as being mostly Gentile. But the same, the, the same fact is still true. God is making one humanity, the believing community. Paul is specifically drawing the contrast of those who are Jewish and those who are not. And you, you probably don't need me to, um, to tell you that historically God has always wanted to have a people for himself. 1 Samuel 12, 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Living life under his rule and under his reign would bring enormous harmony and blessing and that the Jewish people were given this special position in order to show the world what this would be like. He's expressing that the previous division that this brought is now utterly broken down because of what Christ Jesus had done. This morning at Kids Church, um, the kids were, uh, were using building blocks or Lego um, and different things. And they built, they built a wall of, of hostility and then they physically broke it down. And it was just a, a good sort of visual reminder. This is what Jesus has, has done. He has broken down that wall of hostility. So a couple of, couple of things here to know. Firstly, in a sense, the Jews here are, are regarded in no better way pre-salvation than the Gentiles. The, the circumcision to denote Jew Jewishness is, as Paul describes, done in the flesh by human hands. In a sense, circumcision or simply being born a Jew holds no extra value. It is by grace the Jews are saved. It is by grace Paul was saved, a Jew of Jews. And it is by grace that you, as far as I know, a Gentile, are saved. Do Jews have an advantage or a head start? Well, in some ways, in some ways they do. They had the law, they had the prophets, they were given to them. That God wanted to make them a people for himself, yes, but it is still his grace that saves. Romans 3, 9 to 10. What then, says Paul, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Paul seems to be saying, look, circumcision, the outward sign of a covenant with God, was ordained by God, but is made in the flesh by human hands. But it is the new covenant. Covenant, The new covenant is wrought in the heart 
by the work of God himself. And, and secondly, just to, to consider what has been broken down, it is the dividing wall of hostility. That, en that enmity, um, it, it, can't be the, it can't be the law itself because that isn't to be destroyed. Jesus said that he came to fulfill it, not to destroy it. Israel was to be set apart from other nations. And in, in um, researching for tonight, I found out that there was an inscription, some of you might know this already, on, on the wall of the outer courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, um, warning Gentiles to go no further. And if they did so, it was kind of carved on a, a big stone. And if they did so, their death would be their responsibility. Uh, and it made me think from that, you might be able to imagine that there was a sense, a very real sense of division between those who could go in and those who could not. All of the law is still valid. It's only the condemnation for not abiding by the law that is abolished. Christ broke down the wall by his bodily death on the cross. So we, we see here that in this single act of redemption, uh, there's two purposes. One, to destroy the barrier between God and man. And two, to destroy the barrier between the far and the near that was removed all believing humanity becomes one and it's it's not just jews and gentiles as two ethnicities as it were now acceptable to god he's bringing about a new humanity one new humanity we've not just been brought into the commonwealth of israel but brought into a new family and new humanity is making us one he's creating a one race humanity or in a sense two, the people of god and everybody else we are being built together paul goes on in the next verses to emphasize the body being brought together he says in verse 14 he himself is our peace what a beautiful verse he has brought, Jesus has brought us peace with God. There is no war with him. Jesus is the peace that exists now between us and our loving heavenly father. His righteous wrath has been utterly satisfied by the death of Jesus. <clears throat> First John 2, 2 says, he, that's Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. He is our peace. But he's also the peace between you and me, between every believer. We, we have no war with one another. He is our peace. There should be no hostility with those who belong to him. So this act of redemption has brought us near as well as having peace with God and with one another, we have fellow citizenship with the saints. We have allegiance as a citizen. Citizens have allegiances, don't they? We have a new allegiance, and that is to Christ. Citizens have an identity. We have an identity in Christ. Citizens belong somewhere, and we have a belonging to Christ. Citizens often 
have rights and responsibilities too, and we have rights and responsibilities in Christ. I wanted to explore that further, but I know that we, would, we wouldn't actually have time tonight on that. Plus, we are members of his household. In verses, have a look at verses 19 to 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we're introduced to lots of metaphors relating to domestic engineering. I don't know if any of you are domestic engineers. Some of you might fall into that category. I don't know. But some of these words that, are, that we find <clears throat> are you know, household, they're to do with architecture, foundation, cornerstone, building, being built, sacral institutions, temple, dwelling of God. And the, the key motif here is that of household. Ben, could you do the, the next slide, please? Household. Oikos, I'm going to shock you now. There are six compound words built off the syllable oik. Where have I heard that before? I hear you ask. This is where we find the term oikos. Household of God. Not just about our little church here in Erdo and Sutton, or uh, as some of you might think, a slightly upmarket Greek yogurt. It's much, much bigger than that. Oikos, it means a dwelling, a family, home, household, temple. We find these words here in this passage. Uh, this is in my, uh, my best Greek. Paraoikos, that means foreigner. Oikos, household. Epoikodomio, build upon. Oikodome, building. Synokodomio, co-build. Katoikaterion, dwelling. It's all about this oik thing. Household. And as members of his oikos, we are therefore oikiakos. We are those of his own household. I've been saying, I've been calling us oikoshans. And whilst I think I probably will continue to do that, we're actually, as far as I can make out, oikiakos. So for tonight, will you just be oikiakos and then we'll carry on being oikiosians after this. What is this household like? Well, you, uh, I'm, I couldn't dress this up in any other way. You're a brick. You, you are a brick. The foundations are the prophets and the apostles. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are being joined together in him. He's also like the mortar, if we continue the theme. All things are held together by him. We are a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Peter encourages in the same thought. He says uh, in First Peter 2, 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Imagine yourself as a stone that is not part or a brick that is not part of a building. It has far less uh, importance and, and purpose just on its own. It's not part of anything. We know that we are part of something far greater than ourselves. There's a purpose for this building. It will last forever. It is to display God's glory. It's to be a place where God dwells, where he abides and lives. 
I would love to have gone into this bit more as well. This is the idea of Shekinah glory, a precious thing we hear about in the Old Testament, his presence and the dwelling of God. But that's probably for another time. He lives in you. He lives in us. And yet it's a construction in progress. The building is not complete. Jesus is building his church and he sends us to be his ambassadors on his mission. The building work to, will continue until he has finished it. And we know, don't we, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And he will have greater glory than the building itself. But while it's still in, under construction, let's invite others into it, into his family. We know that whilst he doesn't need us, he often makes his appeal through us. So what we learn about this passage should, should have implications for us. As his household, let us live in peace with God and with his people. Let us be motivated and empowered to see others transferred to the family of God. But also, and coming to the, the last part really, um, that we are to live by the spirit who dwells in us. We are a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. We are, we are a habitation of God. We are where he dwells. Paul has the united body of Christ in view here, the united believing humanity. Yes, it's personal. He has saved you, but we are joined with each other. We are joined together as one body reconciled to Christ. This affects how we view other believers in Christ and how, and how we relate to them. As his oikos, we have the freedom to live differently, counterculturally. I don't know if you've seen the, um, the series, The Chosen. I really enjoyed that. Lots of us enjoyed that, I'm sure. But the opening credits to The, to the Chosen, as well as being a funky beat, there were all these fish kind of swimming in one direction. And then gradually they kind of flip around and swim against the tide. And that's what we can and should do too. We have the freedom to do that. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He dwells in us. And I want to encourage you to let him in. To let him in. To invite him to lead you. To ask him to lead us together as his church. There's just a, a few verses. One of the verses that came to mind was, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's, he's the one <clears throat> who is doing the work in us to want to do his will. And he's the one who em empowers us in doing his will. And then, and then I was just wanting to think about some of the ways that the, whole, the Holy Spirit works. And so uh, whilst this is not an exhaustive list at all, I hope it brings some encouragement to you that we as a dwelling place of the, the Holy Spirit, th these are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. 
as we've already said, but in other places, so for example, in, in Corinthians, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and fills you. Also, the Holy Spirit is a helper who teaches and reminds. John 14, 26 says, uh, this is Jesus speaking, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Just want to encourage you as well that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and not in a way which is, is crushing or just in a general way which, which makes you just feel awful, but in a specific way, he convicts the world of sin. Jesus says in John 16, but if I go, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit that is. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Another way the Holy Spirit works is that he is a source of revelation of wisdom and power. First Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. These are thing, the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit, says Paul. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. Again, in the same lovely passage where Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And be encouraged because the spirit helps in your weakness and intercedes for you. We all have times where we feel weak and we don't know what to do. The spirit helps us line up with God's will during those times by interceding for us romans 8 26 27 in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance with the will of god and lastly, on this small list, but, but in no way in terms of limiting what the, what the Holy Spirit of God does, but um, we, we see in Galatians 5 that the Spirit sanctifies and enables us as believers to bear good fruit in our lives. And so I just want to encourage us to live this out together in our missional communities, in our relationships here and further afield. And just to use some words uh, kind of as a prayer for us that we find actually later on in Ephesians 4. So someone else is going to be preaching on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to nick these words and kind of use them as a prayer over us. And then I'm going to hand over to Dan. So, Lord, I would ask that you would enable us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. May we be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Amen.